Welcome to the Abundant Woman Collective podcast, and we are doing a special series just for Advent, where every day for a few minutes, we will come into your earbuds and share with you biblical truth, bringing hope, and pointing you to Jesus during this Christmas season. It is going to be so good. Let's dig in. Friends, we're here. This is going to be our last topical episode of the Advent series. Man, that flew by (laughs) so fast. The next two, one, two, three days will be scriptures that, so you'll still want to tune in and listen in. They're short, sweet, and scripture to get in your mind and heart for Christmas. And this is going to be, like I said, our last like topical episode. And then next week I have a super fun episode talking about New Year's and how to prep our hearts for that. And so I'm excited. I hope you're excited. I'm honestly going to miss Advent because I love it so much. But let's dig right on in. Um, I'm excited about today because this message is one that like a lot of people skip over in terms of when you turn on over to Matthew and you look at that first chapter and you're like, what is going on? Because the first several verses are all the genealogy of Jesus. And so as cool as it is, it's also really hard to read. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to say it. It's also kind of like, oh man, what did I just get into? Right. And so, however, it's verses one through all the way down to 17 is the entire genealogy of Jesus for Matthew. So it is important to know that there are actually two genealogies of Jesus in the new Testament, but today we're just focusing on Matthew. And so the opening verses of this gospel trace the ancestry of Jesus back to Father Abraham. And Matthew was showing Jesus' lineage back to King David and that he had royal lineage, right? So I think it's cool that Matthew is showing the genealogy. And I think it's cool for several reasons. One of which is because Jesus, humble Jesus, who is technically obviously royalty in our eyes, because he's the savior of the world, is also lineage all the way back to King David and Abraham. And so it's royalty, right? But he showed us so much more. In Matthew's world and the Jewish world, genealogies typically only mentioned men. Genealogy was a big thing in the Jewish community because lots of different reasons, but one of which is families and ancestries. If you know Jewish communities, they are big on that, but typically mentioned only men. However, this (laughs) um, genealogy of Jesus includes five women, three of which have spotty reputations, one you would expect, and one I just adore. So, and not only was it unusual that he included women, but if you were to include women, he could have include Jewish matriarchs such as Sarah or Rebecca or Leah. Those are Jewish women. But the women he included didn't, they not only had spotty pasts, <laughs> but they weren't Jewish, right? So uh, they were actually Gentiles, which Gentile means not Jewish, like you and I. We're Gentiles. Okay, so he, <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, he mentions Rahab, a prostitute, Tamar, a woman who pretended to be a prostitute, Bathsheba, a woman taken in adultery. And then he mentions Ruth 
and Mary, mother of Jesus. I love that Jesus, or I'm sorry, I love that Matthew seems to be going out of his way to make clear to his Jewish readers that God has always intended for his blessings and his promises and his sovereignty and his rule to be for people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, and not just exclusively for those who were Jewish by blood, right? Matthew also wanted to make clear, clear that being a part of the people of God, us, the family of God, has never been about blood and bloodlines, but has always been about belief. And it is available to anyone who believes, Gentiles or Jewish or any nation, any tribe or any tongue. Friends, this is good news. This is fantastic news, right? Let's do a short little biography about these women. Um, I will note really quick that if you're listening to this with kids, we are going to talk about some of their spotty past. So just be aware. Throw some headbutts in and let's rock and roll. So Rahab, she was a prostitute and a madam. She housed a brothel in Jericho. And back in the day in Joshua, you can read about it. Joshua sent some men there to scout the land. And when they arrived in Jericho, they decided to spend the night at Rahab's house, at the, the brothel, right? But when Jericho's rulers tried to capture them, Rahab hid them and helped them escape. So not only did she save their lives, and because of that, her and her house were spared when Jericho was demolished, but she did that not because she knew anything special other than she did that because she believed the promises. She had heard about this God that Joshua was was defending and his men were defending. And so she believed the promises of God and that he was going to be victorious in this situation. So she made a choice, hid the men, saved their lives. And because of that, she, she and her house was spared. Okay. Tamar, let's move on to her. God had her first two husbands put to death because they were so evil. So she's working on husband number three, but in that day and age, she had to stay within the bloodline to marry. So like when one died, she went to the next one. And then when that one died, (laughs) they both died. I'm not laughing. I'm sorry. The father had promised the youngest son. I just think some of this is so weird, you guys. Like if the Bible was a movie, let's just say it would not be rated PG or PG-13 or even R, honestly. (laughs) And so with that, the dad never intended to keep the promise. He had said, hey, when this youngest kid, the last kid gets of age, you can marry him. But he was lying. He was hoping she'd die off or something first, right? So Tamar knew that. She figured it out. So Tamar pretended to be a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. And then she blackmailed him with proof and had his two sons, twins. One of the twins is Perez, who is in the lineage of Jesus. I told you all, it's not PG. So that's how she ends up there. Again, these two women, not not like the perfect Christian Jew, or not Christian, the perfect Jewish women who are spotless, right? Because, well, we'll talk about why in just a second. Bathsheba. This story is actually heartbreaking, and it's the polar opposite of Ruth's story, which I'm going to tell you next. Bathsheba is heartbreaking. And if you think of context of, remember that we're in Jewish times way back when. This isn't today in America, Okay. And so Bathsheba was the wife of one of King David's most trusted military officers. One day, David was dealing with lust, like he had an issue with this, and he was being a peeping Tom, honestly. He was watching her shower, and after he watched her shower, he summoned her to his chambers, to his room, and then he slept with her. So I do want to pause just to tell you this, because we're talking about royalty here, right? Right. 
I want to remind y'all that this was a power play. Like, Bathsheba couldn't tell King David no. Once he summoned her, she had to go. And he had she had to obey anything he said after that. So what we're talking here is actually tragic and heartbreaking and probably was not voluntary in a way. And so she had to listen to him. There was no feminism. There was no none of that. She was summoned and she did what she was told. So she slept with David and got pregnant. The first child ends up dying. But after the affair, Bathsheba became one of David's wives and gave birth to another son, which was Solomon. You've heard Solomon in the Bible. David's chosen heir. And he was obviously a precursor of Jesus to come. Man, I, yeah. Okay. So I read this quote in Focus on the Family, and I really thought it did a really good job at describing sort of this. And it says, while David is the most significant name in the genealogy of Jesus, the inclusion of Bathsheba prevents him from being put on an unwarranted pedestal. Indeed, her presence insists upon the grace of the coming Messiah, who would redeem people caught in relationships of unequal power and tainted love and restore them in the true love and freedom only offered by God. Isn't that so good? And I I love that. Okay, Ruth, my girl Ruth. I really do love Ruth. I love that her book of the Bible is incredible and it does such a powerful job at describing Jesus's love. But Ruth, a little bit of a backstory. Again, remember we're in Jewish time and this feels a little crazy, but famine hits Bethlehem. And so Naomi's husband moves the family to Moab. Naomi had a husband and two sons. The two sons married Ruth and Oprah. Like one married Ruth, one married Oprah. Uh, Shortly thereafter, (laughs) the husband and both sons die. Now she's a widow. Naomi is a widow with these two daughter-in-laws. And so Naomi, since she's been in Moab for about 10 years, she decides to head back to her hometown of Bethlehem and she begs their daughters-in-laws basically to stay and marry and like move on. Oprah stays and Ruth decides to leave her family and her hometown and everything to follow Naomi. Thus, she was pledging allegiance to Naomi, right? So Ruth goes to Bethlehem and then finds work in a nearby field where she catches the eye of Boaz. What a name. Boaz also happens to be a relative of Naomi's late husband, which is very, very important because Boaz would have an obligation to marry Ruth because they're family. So he would have an obligation to also provide for her as family. When Naomi hears about Boaz and how awesome he is, she creates this plan to make Ruth snag or help Ruth snag Boaz as a husband. She tells her daughter-in-law to go visit him at night in secret and lie at his feet, which you guys, this is why I laugh because that was like a sexy thing to do, but it's so weird. (laughs) And so Ruth does as her mother-in-law Naomi tells her to do and Boaz likes it, but says, hey girl, I'm not the next in line to marry you. Technically there's this other dude and he would be next in line to marry you. Uh, Let me figure this out. Okay. This is Sam's version. So Homeboy, the one that is next in line, wants Naomi's land, but he doesn't want Ruth. And so they make this deal, and the other guy renounces his claim on Ruth, and Boaz is free to marry her. And so Ruth has a baby. Ruth and Boaz have a baby. And she is then, the baby is grandpa to King David. So that's like a Hallmark story where like Bathsheba is like a horror story, right? Okay. So 
Then, of course, those are the four women. And then after that, you would have Mother Mary. In today's time, obviously, she would be included. However, for back then, it's even surprising that the mother would be included in this genealogy line. So why is this important? When I open Matthew and I see all these names, I'm like, this is a whole lot, a lot of names that I can't pronounce from places that I don't know. And so it might be overwhelming. But if I pick out these characters and these people included in Jesus's bloodline, like it, it reminds me of hope, of love, of peace and promise that comes with Christmas. These women and many men, which I'll name some in just a minute, named are in his lineage and they're kind of spotty. <laughs> so it's reminders that Jesus came into the world to save all kinds of people, women and men, pagans and Jews, prostitutes, queen mothers, immigrant widows, brothel runners, what are those called? Madams, like all of them, right? When he entered the world, he entered into the messiness of human family, even in his own bloodline. Okay. I don't want to leave the guys hanging because there are some dudes that are hot messes too, right? So we heard one instance of hot mess David, but David was king, but which he also, (laughs) he's forgiven a lot because he was also an adulterer and murderer. Judah was one of the brothers who planned to kill Joseph, not Joseph, Jesus's dad, Joseph dream coat, technicolor dream coat Joseph. Um, but it was Judah who created the plot to pretend to kill Joseph and instead sell him into slavery. Cool. He's in Jesus's bloodline. And we have Ahaz, one of the corrupt rulers of Judea, one of the worst, actually, and he literally did all the things that God told him not to. Like God would say, do this, and he would do the opposite. (laughs) And then we have Solomon, King Solomon, who's so wise, but was also a man who had many wives that were not Jewish, and he had been worshiping the gods of his wives and building altars and high places for all of these false gods, right? So these men are prominent men in his lineage, yet they were hot messes and their past was spotty and crazy. Okay. It must remind us that no one gets into God's family by being born into it. You must be reborn into it. Praise God, right? In Galatians 3 verses 20 and 29, it says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I love this, friends. As we think about the kinds of people that are a part of the lineage of Jesus, I can't help think about you, sis. Maybe the girl who has a spotty past, who may or currently spotty, I don't know, and who maybe your life looks like a tragic story like Bathsheba or Rahab, or Solomon, or like maybe your past isn't spotless and blameless and perfect, which no one is, is, okay? Like, let's just clear that up. No one is, right? But is there something in your own story that makes you think you could never belong in God's family? Has shame or fear or lust or any other thing shaped your sense of self so that you think your name's not going to be found in the book of life? Do you think your past is too bad that you cannot belong in God's family? I have news for you. It's not. I love this passage because it's a simple reminder that Jesus's own lineage is not made up of perfect people. Jesus came to save his own family as much as he did you and I. His family is made up of less than perfect people who need a savior, who need Jesus, just like you and I. You and I have a hope, home, 
and family here in Jesus's lineage. And I don't know your story, but I know the God we serve, the God who saw your past and sent his son anyway, the God who says, come to me, repent, and I will make you white as snow, the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you, even despite your past or future mistakes, a God who will use your past for his glory. Friend, I want you to know right now that you are loved. You have a seat at this table of Jesus's family and it has your name on it. No one can replace that seat. It is specifically for you. And so I hope you will join and think and join this family that is Christ. And if you are in the family, I hope that you disconnect from your past, their shame, your sorrow, your mistakes, your anything and repent and just leave it in the past and really step into who God has called you to be. I love you, friends. I hope you this blesses you and you learn something today. And if it does, then share this episode with a friend because, again, I think it's so funny that we look at this chapter in Matthew and we're like, oh my gosh, this is so many words. I don't know. And yet we end with, man, God loves me so much. Even my hot mess, even my past, even my mistakes, even my future mistakes. Like he still sent his son to be born a human and humble himself and then die on a cross for me and all of the crap I've gone and done. So know that you are loved. And I hope y'all have the best Christmas ever. I hope you continue to sit in his presence every single day and make him room this season. <laughs>